0: Australian MusiciansRadio.com
1: Australian Musicians Radio advises the following program may contain coarse language, adult themes, unsolicited product placement, quality banter, unscripted bullshit, dad jokes, print-worthy puns, lewd anecdotes, general fuckery, and lots and lots of local, independent, original music. Hi, I'm Daniel M. Pern. Welcome to Bar Talk. Well, 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 howdy, howdy, everybody, how you going? It's your boy, Big D, Big Daniel, Daniel the Big, Uh, or small, I guess, depending on how... uh, you know, how relative it is, size is relative, as they say. I digress. Uh, welcome, everyone, to yet another fascinating, lovable, and cuddleable episode of Bar Talk, episode 40 to be precise. Um, I want to get straight into it because I'm very excited. We're trying something a bit different for this episode. We're trying keeping it a bit original, you know, a bit different. Uh, and you're going to know, you're going to oh no. So I hope you guys like this. Uh, like this new this this format we're bringing out bringing out this week. For those of you, you remember back for episode twenty five last year when we uh, interviewed August Riverband, the English Rain. Uh, we did a bit of a joint interview episode on that one, one after the other. Well, I'm trying it again this time, but with a bit of a different format, doing it in two parts, as you've seen. So this fir- this first part, which we will be going to very shortly, um, I had the pleasure of interviewing Tanaya Harper, uh, all the way from WA. And, uh, that's going to contain the first part. And then after this, this little part, this, this first half of the episode, you're going to have to switch episodes and play part B because uh, afterwards, later in that second half, I had the pleasure of chatting, uh, to Barley Passable, Sydney electronic duo. Uh, both of these artists have put out new music, which we go into good depth about when we chat. And I had a lot of fun chatting to both of them. But, um, right now we're going to go into Tania Harper's, um, a new EP that she did a live EP, and you're going to hear us chatting all about that. But we are going to start off by playing one of the songs on that EP called "Don't Go Outside." Then you're going to you're going to hear my interview with Tanaya. So, guys, uh, without further ado, enjoy. Hi there, my name is Tania Harper, and you're
2: listening to AMR.
0: Stop
1: about that. That was very nice indeed. That was the one of the songs off, live recorded songs off uh, Tanaya Harper's brand new live EP, Tender Is the Night, volume numero uno. It's a second track off that and uh, as she so very conveniently told me, it was one of the songs off her previous EP as well. Um, but that was Don't Go Outside off that, uh, off the live version of that new EP. Um, I'm very excited because I do have Tanaya on the line with me uh, all the way from WA, lazily lounging, not making herself useful whatsoever. Tania, I'm terribly ashamed, but um, I shouldn't feel too ashamed because you, you're wasting your time with me and that's probably time better wasted than just sitting on the couch, don't you reckon?
2: No, you know, it gives me a reason not to go <laughs> out and catch up with someone or give myself some job that's not just enjoying being at home finally. I'm too busy. I'm too busy for my own good, so this is nice.
1: What's your favourite lazy day activity?
2: Oh, I really enjoy, uh, like, going to the park and having a little stroll and eating something yummy. Oh yeah, That's probably my favourite lazy day. Yes. If, if at home, though, probably just, like, watching a movie first thing in the morning. You know, you wake up, you make a coffee, and you're like, you know what, I've got lots of free time. I'm going to watch a movie.
1: Okay, you're a movie in the morning kind of person.
2: Yeah, if the
1: mood strikes. All right, all right. Because you know, I remember whenever I associate, I don't normally associate like movies, you know, morning time. Although that's what no. I have been to to a matinee session at a cinema, which can be a lot of fun because uh, uh, what movie was it? It was when we were growing up. Was when uh, it was some horror film that came out that our friend said, oh, I'll come along and see. And we did. It was great because um, it was one of those like mystery, you know, horror mystery films uh, I was like, you know, who done it, sort of thing, and yeah. I'm trying to remember what it was. Oh, it was the one in this uh, where they're in the elevator, and like one of them's the devil. And it was oh like, my
2: god, it, that sounds horrifying. Yeah. I've never seen
1: that. <laughs> it was written by M. Night Shyamalan of all people, but not directed by him. But uh, yeah. so they like, had a certain level of tackiness that was like, you know, you had to take the take a bit of the piss out of it. But it was great. It was the five of us. We, we all went in together. We were the only people in the cinema and we were just making a whole ruckus because we were like, oh, yeah, it's going to be that person. <laughs> and we were like, you know, chucking popcorn, being really loud. And it was great because we weren't disturbing anyone.
2: Isn't that great when you also like leave the cinemas and the sun is still up? Isn't that the weirdest?
0: It So is.
2: Yeah. I'm so used to walking out of the cinemas and it's night time. So, at least that would have made the film a little less scary because you wouldn't have walked out into like the night. I I think it also helped.
1: I think it also helped that we had other people there because then we were just talking shit about it afterwards
0: when we went and had lunch.
2: You know what? I feel like I have to somehow find these people. One time I was a kid (laughs) and I went with like a group of kids to see, of all things, the proof of life. And I don't know if you've ever seen that film, but it was like Meg Ryan. It was really, it was a blockbuster. And for some reason, us kids were just like being babysat and just made to go to the movies. So Mm. we went to like the most adult film. And we did not care one bit about this movie and we are just throwing popcorn and being all rowdy. And these all like the cinema was full and it was full of adults who probably work all week. They were finally going on like a little date together. We just ruined it. And these two, this, this adult couple behind us went and got the manager and the manager kicked us out. And... But they did that closer to the end of the film. So that whole movie was ruined for them. I feel like I need to find them and apologize.
1: Well, was the movie any good though in hindsight? Was it one of those ones that was like a landmark film for its time or Uh, yeah, I think from
2: memory from memory it's a little bit like Blood Diamond, I think. Like it's quite quite full on action film, but I could be really wrong. (laughs) But yeah, I think if I went back and watched it now, it would be like high high tense. It would be what's that word? Like high intensity film?
1: Yeah. It was around the
2: same time as the panic room, you know, that kind of stuff. Right,
1: right.
0: Yeah.
1: It's a very particular period, yeah. Mm -hmm. We've never been kicked out of a cinema, but I have been kicked out go-karting because we decided to go drunk after um, having some birthday drinks with a friend, and this go-kart place was open until about 1am. It's like, let's go go drunk go-karting, and we got kicked out because we were being too rough. With the Had go-karts. You, oh,
2: yeah. So, you'd already- This isn't bumper cars. This is go-karts.
1: This is proper go-karts, not bumper cars. Not those little piddly things.
2: Did you just keep, like, deliberately slamming into the tyres? The whole point is to they, try and drive really well, but were you well, just fucking around? Well, they were, like, we
1: were being really rough with each other, like, slamming into each other, going- Like, <laughs> not stupidly fast. Like, they're supposed to go fast. And that's what you're supposed to do. But, like, on purposely being unsafe, like, ramming people in the back-
2: Of course, because you're all limber and like you would not be as damaged, you know, because you're drunk.
1: Oh, yeah. And apparently, uh, yeah. And uh, it was just the five of us. It was just the guy. Like, there was no one else on the track. Cause Nobody was like
2: else. A- yeah, yeah. So, you just went gun,
1: But they just went. Did you know
2: that it's an offence if you get caught riding your horse drunk? It's considered drink driving.
1: I, d- I did know that. Any vehicle. So, yeah, drink cycling is apparently a thing, but I don't think I've heard of anyone. Isn't
2: that sad? Isn't that sad that a horse <laughs> is considered a, a vehicle? <laughs>
0: not-,
2: oh. not your sentient being that you're exercising. <laughs> <laughs> Your sentient being that you're just, like, having a bonding session I- with. It's a vehicle.
1: I'm not riding the horse. I'm simply gi- He's simply giving me a piggyback.
2: Yeah, yeah. He's, he's taking me home. The horse is a man, and he's taking me home.
1: He's not a vehicle. <laughs> he's simply an extension of my legs.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's my spirit guide. What, you can see him? Oh, I thought I was the only one.
1: <laughs>
2: I thought I was just ominously
1: floating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, can you
2: please can you please stop levitating for a second? <laughs> so we're,
1: we're 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 charging you for drink for drink driving with an invisible with an invisible horse.
2: <laughs> yeah, we're, we're charging you for a drink floating.
1: Slaps the ticket on the horse's mane.
2: Oh, <laughs> and he's like, oh wow, that's quite quite firm air. <laughs> huh, yeah,
1: that's it's weird. Quite solid.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, do that next time. You have to paint your paint your horse in a camo outfit out outfit so no one sees
0: it. <laughs> call no, him
1: the, John Cena. the horse
2: the horse's camo and the outfit that the person yeah. is wearing <laughs> is camo as well and then it's just invisible.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it's just like then you can just see these reins floating. They can call the reins. Tri- <laughs> <can> call, <the laughs>
2: yeah,
1: call the horse John uh, Cena.
2: Oh, imagine if you lived in a world where the rains there were just like heaps of rains floating in the air.
1: <laughs> you know what that reminds me of, and I, I, I know this is getting into like what the the fourteenth tangent in about
2: <laughs>
1: five <laughs> minutes. Uh, it reminds me of that round the twist episode where uh, the the girl turns invisible, but she has to be has to be naked because the clothes obviously mm. show up, and so at the end of the episode she gets caught out. Because the invisibility wears off and she's caught riding oh. naked on a horse like Lady Godiva.
2: I remember that so yeah. vaguely. The one, the one I remember the most was swallowing the frog and the, mm, the guy who got pregnant. I don't remember the naked girl <laughs> as much, but it's there. It's in the back of my, it's the, in the back of my memory. The, the
1: tree pregnancy. And then, of course, there was the oh, fish. Oh, wasn't
2: that great? The, willy,
1: the whirly Willy one
2: with the fish. Yeah. Like, oh, God. What a, isn't that amazing that they got the funding to do that? Uh, like you know, I heard I heard actually a rumor or a theory that in the '90s the reason why we have so many acidy TV shows and cartoons is, um, is especially from America, is because in the '90s they trialled like lowering the level of censorship. So that's why we have um, Ren and Stimpy and all of these crazy shows
1: like Beavis and Butthead Head and
2: like yeah, just- yeah, just real weird shit. And it's because like they were they got given free rein. They tried to, like, see what would happen if you lowered censorship.
1: <laughs> and then and just so, like, that's
2: why that particular era is just so intense.
1: We thought it was good, then you decided to make him have a spinny penis. And that was the kind <laughs> <current> of point.
2: <laughs> in Beavis bu- bu- um, bucket
1: No, I'm talking about that round the twist episode where, he's, oh, where he I swallows know. a fish and gives in the whirly-willy.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: For those of you who wow. didn't grow up on around the Twister or any international listeners are going, what the hell are they talking this about? This is
2: starting to sound like the Andy Griffith's, like, Uncanny <laughs> yes. books.
1: I'm surprised They're they starting never. starting to
2: sound like all of that.
1: I'm surprised they never made a TV show out of that. That was one of my favourite books growing yeah, up.
2: Yeah, they were amazing. They were some of my first books. And um, Lemony Snicket, the series yes. of unfortunate events, mm. they were incredible.
1: They had some pretty whacked up stuff in it, though.
2: <laughs> so freaky. A lot of kids' books, Like, like stuff that gives kids nightmares.
1: You can get Can't. away with it more in books I think than TV shows and it must be just because of the the visual medium because if you got it on TV unless you're reading the kids book of course but if you're on TV yeah. you're seeing everything Whereas in the book you know the kids at in the corner He's just by himself reading
2: Yeah yeah so I get think that maybe the more. the the scariest thing I think I ever saw as a kid was um the original witches with Angelica Angelina Houston
1: the OG oh, the ever
2: classic The OJ, fuck, that was scary. That was so, (laughs) so scary. Like, the witches with their long nails and their bold, like, scabby heads. And she was so scary.
1: And that film, that was one that I always found it funny because then they would just randomly have Rowan Atkinson cameoing as the clueless uh, hotel manager.
2: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And, like, the book, it was so much less intimidating than the movie. Yeah. So, yeah, definitely films will give kids nightmares way Mm. before a book will.
1: Um, I want to say <laughs> a long. It's a long overdue welcome to the show, Tanaya.
2: <laughs> oh, hello, hi, <laughs> hola.
1: There's a there's a lot to talk about, but it's not about a mu- about your music, clearly.
2: <laughs> no, I, I could go on forever. Uh, I Can say- you imagine me stoned? It'd be like this times a million.
1: Yeah. Oh, I'm going to recommend that this episode. I'm going to put a put a recommendation on there, saying it, please. Uh, take your Please come back tab. in the
2: future and uh, have a joint before we start the interview.
1: <laughs> I was going to say for people listening,
2: <laughs>
1: take a tab, you know, just a, yeah, just a, just a light like, puff.
2: And just hear the tangent start.
1: And, and just, yeah, into <laughs> tangents Engine's rolling. Yeah. Exactly, just interconnecting in random spots. But yeah. uh, I just want to say, yeah, good stuff on the new EP. I guess you call it, do you call it an EP or a live album? Some sort of. I don't
2: know. Like, I guess it's an EP because it's six songs. I'm a real fan of EPs. I think that gone are the days of like 16 song albums. Unless you're like Thundercat or something. But, um. True. (laughs) Yeah, I really like EPs because it's just a more concise little, little snippet. It's less intimidating than like concept album. It's less like. Sometimes I feel like with albums, when you're thinking about them, you feel like you have to fill the space rather than, like, mm. I have these five songs and I feel complete. Um, but, yeah, I would call it an EP, I guess, because it's few, you know, only six tracks. But it is a live album at the same time, so it's a live EP.
1: Beautifully <laughs> a live EP. crafted. A, um, beautifully yeah. crafted release, must. I, uh, so, I, uh, so I must say. Um, because You mean is, sonically? So, well, yeah, just beautifully recorded. Sounds great. You can tell it's a live album, but it is just nicely, nicely done.
2: Yeah, I'm really impressed because uh Lee Gardner, who like designs the whole event, I think he recorded it just for like archival sake and mm-hmm. just so he could accompany the audio to some videos just in order to promote the next show with the next artist. But then yeah, they ended up so good. The mastering sounded so crisp that um it warranted being released you know, like yeah. with quite a few of the songs. Um but yeah, even like some people have been tricked into thinking that it's not live because the recording's so such good quality, so that's just really good feedback.
1: And then you, and then at the end, there's just the claps. Go, oh, okay, yeah, right. Oh, that uh, was live. The, the the other people in the crowd.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I love it. I'm really – I'm just really chuffed with the whole thing. And, yeah, someone said to me, oh, I didn't think it was live. And I was like, you know why? Because you can't hear people talking over me. That's why you you, you forget that it's live because usually there's, like, the murmur of the audience. But this audience was, like, extremely um, present and just there for the event. So, yeah, that was something I was extremely grateful for and really enjoyed.
1: Tell us a bit about the event that you recorded it at because – I guess how did it come about and what was what were you aiming to do as part of it.
2: So in the middle of last year um this uh, cool dude over here called Lee Gardner he messaged me and uh, he was like hey Tana I've got this idea where I want um I've got this idea where I want a local musician to play their songs with like a string quartet behind them. I was like oh that sounds amazing but you know I had because it wasn't my idea I had no full comprehension of what he was getting at so then he asked me to send him a couple of my songs just played to my voice memos on my phone um just acoustically so I did and I sent them off and then what he did was he passed uh those songs onto about four different uh string arrangers like composers and then that meant that they like got two or three songs each and they came up with arrangements for a quartet to the songs they were given and then uh what happened was a couple months after that the event took place and I just I just arrived and the strings players were there setting up and we didn't really get a sound check we just got to figure out the beginnings and endings of the tracks we didn't actually get to play through the whole songs and just to make sure everything was like you know well well started and cut off and yeah then the people started rocking up to um this backyard in this suburb over here and Eventually the backyard filled up with picnic blankets and picnics and then it started and it was like that was really the first time we were playing um, because we didn't get to have a rehearsal and there was uh, filming and an audio recording of it and I got to use in for the first time ever. And, um, yeah, then, you know, a couple months later, Lee sent me the recordings to them and they just sounded really good and he was like oh I would like to get them mastered and at the same time I decided that for my next EP I would have uh you know my like four songs of my next EP on the A side and for the B side I would put the Tender is the Night Songs that's Mm. the plan with that and then the bushfires happened in Perth uh, a bit over a month ago and that was really devastating I think like 80 homes got lost so I really wanted to raise some money for the bushfires so I decided Kind of then and there, just to release the EP like a day or two later, just to see if, uh, you know, the sales from that on Bandcamp could raise enough money to, you know, be be uh, like happy enough with the amount raised to pass on to the bushfire victims. And it raised like $900 so far. So it's pretty
1: impressive, yeah.
2: yeah. Yeah, so that was the whole event. It was like a backyard quartet to a local musician's songs, really.
1: I was going to say, it is such a testament to those arra- those arrangements to then oh my gosh, not actually yeah. have rehearsed with the string players.
2: Yeah, the important thing was that the recordings that I sent to them were how I would play it live. That yeah. was the really integral bit because if I rocked up that day and was like, actually, I do this thing as well in the song, then that would just fuck the whole thing up. Um, so, yeah, we just, they arranged them just to the recording and then the strings players, are absolute professionals, you know, like the fact that they could just get up and play with someone they'd never, or play for someone they'd never played with before is just really incredible. It was such a moment. It was such a special, special thing. And I only realized how special it was once it was happening. Yeah. Like I had no, I had no idea what it was actually going to be like. And then I realized how special it was.
1: I was going to say that you would have had a lot of intrepre- intre- intre- intrepidation, surely, because you hadn't, I'm guessing you hadn't heard anything of what they have been working no, on. No,
2: yeah, I had no pre- preconceived expectations at all. And then once I heard how magnificent the arrangements were, I was just like blown away. And it's an event that Lee is having every season. So per season of the year, like um, that was the spring one, which was the first one. And then uh, he just had his um, autumn one, I believe, with Jane as a party from a band mm. called Calmly that used to be known as Childsane. Yeah. So again, they learnt they learnt arrangements to songs they hadn't played live before. And I heard that that went beautifully. So yeah, yeah, it's a very beautiful idea he has, and I hope that if he goes for any grants, that he gets them because it's yeah. well worth it.
1: So how many has he done so far?
2: Uh, After me, he did his summer instalment, which was Sean Gorman from Salary. Yep. I'm not sure if you've heard that band, but it's, like, stunning. And then, yeah, as I said, Jane from um, Calmly, formerly known as Child Saint, they um, did one with her just recently. And instead of The Backyard, this time they did it in a town hall in Leaderville. I'm actually, like, slightly jealous that um, I didn't get to play a town hall. <laughs> but but I got the OG, so, like, I'm happy with that. <laughs> I got to break the water.
1: Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. yeah um, you might have to get in yeah. another time if you're feeling a bit jealous. <laughs> that I think so. Maybe
2: on. one, I think one day he might do, like, an All Stars. He'll get everyone back for, like, two oh, yeah. of their songs.
0: that by That would that be point, pretty
2: cool. Yeah, if he does it for, like, another, you know, three artists, then he'll have you know, like six of us that can um all come and do like two songs each. So, that would be a good good set.
1: What – I mean, with, with it now, because then you, you said that you decided on picking – you were saying to me before, you decided on picking a couple of songs from the newer EP and then a few of yeah. the others are from your first. Yeah. What sort of – I mean, how many songs did you play during your set? Because you only then end up putting – Two songs from the second EP and then you said, you were saying this before uh, we started the interview, that you then put the other four or the last four songs were from your first EP. Yeah. What what process did you have to go to to whittle down the songs that you ended up having on the EP?
2: Um, It was more that I didn't think strings suited the full band songs because I didn't have my band playing with me. So I decided that the um, strings would suit solo songs better. It would suit me playing on guitar better than it would suit me playing a song that really, really suits a full band better, but that they weren't, weren't there. And also it was extremely nice to go and revisit some kinds because I recorded it a few years ago very much on the fly. Like people had been asking me, "Oh, um, you know, when are you going to have some music out? And I was like, oh... I don't know, but I've got these songs. I guess I should record them. And I just recorded them in a bedroom, but they didn't get to really live like their full potential instrumentally because, you know, it was just me with guitar and Stella Donnelly played on a few of them, which gave them more life as far as having like, you know, more going on. But, um, yeah, I definitely felt like the, when I got to play them with strings, it just finally felt like, okay, cool, they've had their, they've had their day now.
0: Yeah, you got
1: to get them out with a sort of a different, I guess, musical perspective now that you've you've passed them on to these, these very talented players to put their own spin on it.
2: It's also really nice just to like revisit old songs because um, I've been playing the new EP songs like a fair bit. So, it was really nice to go, oh, you know, this, this other EP that I brought out like two, three years ago, it would be really nice to um, just like say hello to them again and give them some respect. Do,
1: did you um do you find that with just generally speaking your own stuff like it doesn't have to be the stuff that you played on the night but just generally speaking with your songs do you have find that there is a bit of that thing where you get a bit fatigued when the song first comes out you've got to leave it a few couple you know a little while a few months and then you sort of start to appreciate it again that you can play it a bit for a bit
2: yeah absolutely I think that like the whole cycle of bringing out a, a single there's so much like energy and emotional energy that gets put into it and it starts to, I don't know, it oversaturates it in your own mind. Um, and so it definitely loses its magic and charm by the time it comes out. Cause often someone's single as well. They recorded it like a year ago. Like it's new to anybody who's hearing it recorded, but it's really old for the artist. It's like really old for them generally because, yeah. you know, that's just how it works. You don't write a song and then record it that day and then, release it the next week, you know, you usually write a song and you write a few more and then you'll record and then you'll start the cycle of considering releasing it and it just takes a really long time. So, yeah, that's definitely true what you said.
1: Is it, look, with any of the, I guess, so how many songs did you end up playing on the night?
2: I played, I think, about 10 songs Hmm. and then from those 10, I picked uh, the six that are on the EP.
1: What was there? Was there a lot of, like, was it hard to make that final decision?
2: Uh, not really because I could I could release as many as I wanted to, but I decided not to release the ones that I weren't as happy with vocally, uh, like a Sandcraft card, but I had come off the back of a three-month tour uh, sorry, not a three-month tour, a um, three-week tour with Ghost Care Don't and Spacey hype Jane. And
1: Don't hype yourself up that much. Come on. <laughs> uh, uh,
2: no, I know. I, I know. Like, locked.
1: I know. In twenty twenty, the weeks felt like months, and the months felt like years. But come on.
2: Uh, my voice, honestly, my voice <laughs> was shot when I got to that gig that night because I'd only finished tour the day before. I I was really scared. I actually was worrying about whether I'd really be able to sing. So when I did listen back to the recordings, there were songs that were a little bit strenuous. Like Crash Pad, I decided not to release because yeah, definitely uh the the this the yelling bit in that song did not come across as nice and crisp and shiny as I would have liked. Uh so yeah, that was a very intentional I'm not releasing that one.
1: <laughs> Just a tad a tad a tad roar for the wax, so yeah, to speak.
2: Yeah, a tad a tad rough. <laughs> like the, the word pitch really are. Uh, does not uh, occur with that one. <laughs> so, yeah. but there, So, it wasn't hard to pick which ones I wanted because I knew which ones I
0: didn't want. Fair
1: enough. So, it was really rather than your favourites, picking your favourites, it was a process of elimination.
2: Yeah, it was definitely. It's Just like an easy no. <laughs> a really, really firm, easy no.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um. Tell me a bit about that uh well, I guess the writing process because I, I mean this is going more generally into music I know we're, we're here to talk about the EP but stuff it want to talk about other things yeah <laughs> no with with your writing process you're more of a person though that does uh, tend to find that you can complete the song in one setting or
2: you know I used to when I was younger uh, but as I've gotten older it doesn't happen as much I'm oh. not sure if it's like I'm not sure if it's just like your overwhelming hormones and emotion of being younger <laughs> and you're just like you're really pissed off or you're really sad. And so you'll just write a song like so, you know, just in one sitting. But nowadays I tend to like come up with the core concept and maybe the core song structure, but definitely I won't finish it in a setting. And it used to really scare me. I used to think, Oh my God, maybe my like songwriting skills are disappearing. Maybe I'm not going to be able to like write songs ever again soon, but it just, it just changes as you get older. I think that's what I've noticed.
1: Yeah, yeah. So you really can't pin down what that change, what's caused that change. By the sounds of it,
2: um, maybe it's maybe it's being too critical too soon. Maybe it's like you know when you try to like edit something before there's anything really to edit, you just collapse in on yourself. Maybe that's all it is. So
1: do you, do you, have you found that you've as you've gotten more experience then with your writing? Yeah. That you've been able to, oh, not so much subdue the critique, but the the critique, the critique within mm-hmm. within you. You know, you've you've been able to sort of you know accept that that self crit- self, self critique, and uh, you know, not move beyond it. But um, I'm trying to think of the word, but you know what I mean? Where you're like you got your self critic inside you, sort of yelling at you, telling you not to do this, telling you not to do that, but you can still plow along and. And finish something yeah, and then go, all right, a- now critique now critique it. Now tell me what's bullshit about it.
2: Yeah, it's something that you have to learn to do. And sometimes it's not as easy. Sometimes you, like, can't get past it and it's a real shame. But I think that a really good thing to do in that situation is maybe just go and listen to your own songs and be like, oh, you know what? Yeah, I can write music. I have done it before. And that, that song that I'm listening to right now, that was really hard to write, but I did it. So, yeah, you just got to remind yourself that you are capable and you can do it. and.
1: Do you think now that you've done? I was going to say, were your sorry because this is the first time you've had um, a live album done, isn't it?
0: Yep. Yeah, yeah. I was going
1: yeah, to say, were your were? Do you have any preconceptions about live albums before you you'd gone into doing this? That I really brought- like albums. I, I really like the um,
2: Porter's Head live album. Uh, Ros- is it Roseland? Is that how you say it? Ro- Roseland Ballroom. Thank you, James. So I've got, we're getting, in the car. You get your you brain
1: You got your brains trust with you, by the sounds of it.
2: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Voting's a very tense time. Yeah, I love, I love live albums. I I really enjoy just like browsing YouTube and watching people sing live because I find it, I find it so impressive when like you can tell that someone doesn't auto tune, like they actually, you know, are are a really good singer or whatever. So I think I always did want to do a live album, but just the opportunity never really presented itself, and I Mm. feel like when you when you just do a recording at a venue, it often doesn't uh, doesn't really come across as great but Yeah, we the, had like
1: the results like of the actual recording itself may not be at the level you want it to be essentially
2: yeah I've heard uh, live recordings of myself at just local venues and uh, you know they've just kind of sent them over to me and I've been really really excited to watch them uh, listen to them and then I hear them and I'm like, oh. You know that that feeds straight into the desk isn't very nice. That's why this one was like really shocking. I never, I never intended to um release it at all. And then I heard the recordings and was like so impressed by just the quality. And I, I was actually mostly shocked that I had sang well because, like I said, I'd come off the back of a tour. I'd like really lost my voice. I could barely talk. I was expecting it to sound so terrible, um, but it didn't. So that was quite a shock. And I'm really, really really happy
1: about that. I was going to you know, say, you don't have any specific, you know, lost voice techniques to try no, and it. No, no, I was you.
2: shocked. The whole time, I was like, wow, holy Jesus, I sound so Amy Winehouse while I was on, on stage. I was like, fuck, I'm not a smoker, but I sound like one. And then when I like, Listen back to the recordings, it didn't sound like that at all. I was like, oh, I guess that's really a testament to whenever you feel like you sound bad or you're playing bad and you go, you come off stage and you're like, oh, that was such a bad performance. I sounded so bad. And everybody's like, no, you sounded great. And you don't believe them. Now I think I'm more inclined to believe people when they say that, oh, no, you did great. Like I didn't notice what you're noticing at all.
1: <laughs> Whereas before you were just like, yeah, you're just being nice. Get off yeah, your high Yeah, absolutely.
2: Holes. That, totally.
1: <laughs> stop. Stop fronting me. <laughs>
2: yeah yeah like, oh, come on, you don't have to strike my ego. It's fine. like I know I sound shit, you know, but um no, now I'm like inclined to believe that maybe we we don't do as badly as maybe some of us feel like we do.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's again that self-critique coming thing coming out again.
2: <laughs> yeah, totally, but I think now I'm starting to like get a bit of a get a bit of a hold on it over time. as you get older, thing. everything gets easier, right.
1: Uh, is, is, that, is that a thing? Because I feel like you, <laughs> you ask an old person oh, every day, it gets harder to get up the sore joints or something. I don't Aww. know. That was but, really yeah, that's a very bad thing to say against the old people. Old people are lovely. Uh,
2: <laughs> no, I'm doing an aged care class. and studying nursing at the moment. And, um, yeah, it's really devastating to learn about a lot of the uh, things that happen as you get older. But at the same time, it's also really beautiful to, like, think that, maybe you could, I don't know, be a carer in some capacity and like, you know, just help them enjoy enjoy their time, even though they might have ailments and stuff. I don't know. That's a whole other world that it's I'm starting just, to become aware of. It's just a
1: philosophy. It sounds like you're just getting a little bit philosophical there for a sec.
2: Yeah, <laughs> definitely. <laughs>
1: you don't try and bring any particular philosophy to your to your writing style, do you? Well, that was a, bit um, of a I do
2: actually. You do. No, okay. I do. I, I thought you were about to go. Yeah.
1: What kind of questions that, Daniel?
2: No, no, I like. I don't get like literal. I don't start talking about like Kant or Nietzsche or anything. But <laughs> I definitely, I definitely have my like own personal philosophy in life, and like where, for instance, um, you know, I do truly believe that as bad as things get, there are silver linings. Um, I think a lot of that has to do with like having bipolar, and so when lows are really 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 bad I always know that there will be an upturn I don't know when it's going to happen but I know that it is going to come um and so I think that through all of my songwriting even though at times it might be really sad um there is always like that there's that insight of like you know I know that what I'm talking about right now is very like solid and matter of fact but I know that everything changes nothing stays the same forever so, I'm always very aware of that and that's the philosophy I hope that I bring.
1: Because it's not that uncommon, people being bipolar in the music industry or being, being creatives of some kind, some, some, in some yeah. form of, or another. So, do you think having that kind of condition does sort of lend this, I guess, perspective that you wouldn't otherwise have when it comes to p- writing and putting your thoughts down?
2: Yeah I think it definitely when I was younger and I was really unwell because now I'm I'll am call myself stable because I've been medicated really well for the last couple of years but definitely like back when I was not well at all it was kind of the only thing that I felt like I had to anchor me and to try and understand what was going on in my brain so I think that a lot of the time if artistic people do have bipolar they've probably gravitated to the arts because it gives them that freedom to just explore and to um yeah just have like some kind of outlet uh yeah I don't know it's and it's something that you can do alone as well um you don't need to Mm -hmm. be around other people um yeah I think that it's very natural for people who are like have any kind of condition where they feel other or they feel confused they will gravitate to the art people because like they are mediums that you can use however you like and so you know one will appeal to you more and then you'll use it and you'll explore it and yeah you'll just make it work for you really I wish I was a painter I do feel like that will be something I'll do in my later life Because, like I think people who paint to understand and paint to express I think that's probably the most freeing form of art Outside of maybe dance, you know, like contemporary dance.
0: Yeah, uh, I yeah. think
2: that I think that that's also like very incredible, and I know that a lot of people who dance like do suffer from like quite bad depression. Um, so that whole like movement therapy, trying to like communicate messages and emotions through, like, dancing uh, obviously helps some people as well. So, yeah, the arts is just, like, a really good friend. (laughs) The arts is a really good friend (laughs) until your critique comes out and then it's not a friend anymore and you start thinking it's your enemy When really. You are your own enemy.
1: Yeah, that that sounds like an internal battle going on there.
2: Yeah, I usually write about that a lot. Like, even just the, it's so difficult to songwrite sometimes because that critique is always there already. So, even some of my songs are literally about trying to, trying to write, you know, like just the, that naughty voice in your head that makes you feel terrible and makes you doubt yourself. It's, it's usually of, about that.
1: It's a bit of an irony, don't you think? Oh, I yeah. Mean, this song oh. that I wrote is about me not being able to write.
2: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Like, it's about, it's about the battle of trying to be able to write,
1: it's just a, t- just a tad meta.
2: What song was it? I think um, uh, Dissociate or maybe Mm. I think it was Feeding Crenzy that those songs definitely were talking about like feeling like this block, just something blocking me. And then, you know, I struggled and I struggled and I struggled and I finally had a song like, you know, after trying for so long and it was like almost archival, like it was documenting that journey, that emotional stuntedness of, like, trying to write a song. Um, even though it's about lots of other things, I can feel like a song can be about something, but it can be about, like, mm. everything and nothing. It can be about so many different things. You can pull it apart.
0: Yeah. And it wouldn't really
2: make sense to most people because it's, like, really, really, really personal. But at least there's themes there that everyone could hopefully relate to.
1: Do you think when you look back later in life, you're going to have this really sort of brushes of a journey going through where you can sort of pinpoint particular songs you've written and say, well, that was me at that time. Or oh, are you hoping absolutely. that that would be the
2: case? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that is what makes um, releasing the songs so frustrating when like you've written a song and you're living the song. It's like in your blood at the m- that moment in time, but then it takes so long to record. It takes so long to release. So, by the t- time the song is out, you're no longer living that song anymore. It's like a it's like a memory. And you're like, Oh yeah, I'm really, really glad that this song is out But like at the same time, you know, there's this like disclaimer where you're like, but this isn't me anymore. You know? It's a really yeah. it's a really weird one.
1: You get that a lot as a songwriter, don't you? You go, Oh yeah, and then this happened and this happened and then like the oh, this terrible thing occurred and then you just hear the audience go, Oh it's like it's okay, it's all gone now, I'm here. It's all right, I didn't it's okay, die. it's all
2: right now. Yeah, totally, totally, that's Fine. totally, totally. Me. Mm. Look, I'll be, right, I'll be like, oh, this song is a bad breakup, uh, but but that happened ages ago and we're fine now, we're actually back together, you know. So, some people might be going through a breakup and really like feeling the song that you're singing, but like you're no longer feeling it. It's a really weird, jarring kind of uh, reality of um, releasing music.
1: Yeah. You mentioned something before about um, <clears throat> the value of having that, your own personal space with the creative I guess, with well, with the creative process of, you know, putting together some form of art, whether that be song or, as you were mentioning, dance or a painting. and mm. you know, all these beautifully different examples of different types of art um, where, I guess, alone time is important. You know, how much value mm. do you put on alone time as opposed to having that social aspect of the music, you know, collaboration, you know, playing with a band, um, you know, Dealing with other people to record, what have you? Like, where do you find? The, what are the different strengths? And I guess you, in your experience, even cons of working in that alone space versus working co- yeah collaboratively.
2: Right. I never ever write my own personal songs with people. I can't mm. even write if my boyfriend's in the house. Yeah, I have to. I have to really be alone because um, I feel like I don't know what it is. Like if I can feel somebody else is near me or something. I do believe in energy and I do believe that like say like he's got this orange aura and I've got like a purple one and if the purple just can't be like alone and really like with it and there's this other kind of colour hovering around it like mixes in and, you know, you really do just need to be alone. And um, so that's how I write. Um, bringing the song to the band is a totally different ballgame. Like the song really has to be finished before I do that because I hate writing personal stuff with people. I'm so happy to write uh, – with someone else, when it's their song, like with Ghost Care, I, um, I'm there and I'm present when like Bo is trying to write a song with us, but it doesn't really go the other way at all ever. Like maybe 1% of the time it does. Like I've done a song with Camerano a couple months ago. and But then
0: Great my favourite the thing way. is – Oh, he's right. amazing.
2: But my favorite, um, my favourite part of the whole writing process is actually once I get into the studio with Dave Parkin. He's just yeah. so – so incredible, and he's just so present with you, and he he really builds you up, and he really um I really respect his like songwriting kind of uh, understandings and theories and instincts. So if it sounds like the song needs just a little bit extra, like maybe like a bridge here or something there, or extend this bit or cut that bit back. I'm actually, I find that highly enjoyable because I really trust him and I really respect him. But flip side, I wouldn't maybe be as comfortable if he was there while I was trying to write the song. You know, I have to write the song alone and then I can take that to him and hand it over, you know. Like I really I have changed things in songs because he had suggested it. Mm. Um, I wouldn't do it if it was someone that I didn't respect. I'd be like, fuck off. I'll do what I want, thanks. <laughs> uh, Strongly yeah.
1: independent songwriter.
2: I don't yeah, need yeah. no producer. I don't, do that. I, don't need your, I don't need your input. How
1: I just, about so you, <laughs> like it. So, you said there when you, you said about, you know, your boyfriend can't be in the room. When you're songwriting, and it just—I don't know—it just reminded me of I don't know why tonight. You're gonna have to forgive me. Like those are uh, those shows where it's like the old grandmother, like the old ethnic grandmother with the broom, like kicking the kids out to try and get that to try and do something in the lounge la- or try and clean up in the lounge room. And here I am, like, oh, get out! I got a I got an idea. Grabs a broom, starts whacking your boyfriend to like get the hell out uh, of here. If I
2: if I come up with an idea, I like. If you know it, unfortunately, happens when he's home. <laughs> then I'll like, I'll like go into my music room. I will shut the door and I'll do it relatively quietly because okay. I just don't want anyone to like be pro- you know be there while that's happening. I really just want to like do it alone. I don't want is is there I a don't certain- want anyone?
1: Uh, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I'm probably cutting you off. Yeah, yeah. You don't no, want anyone hard. to be in there. Do you reckon that's sort of like an insecure thing? Like, do you find that you have to pile on like this sort of, sort of metaphor? And you know and these other you know songs you know maybe mystify it up a bit before you're ready to present these songs so that it doesn't.
2: I think I think more what it is is if you're not yet even if the idea is not even yet fully realised and someone's already there to give feedback, it really it really messes with the authenticity and like the rawness of it because that's that's co-writing. You know, if someone gives you feedback and is like, you should do X, Y, and Z more than this, uh, then, you know, they've already influenced something that really should just be all you.
1: So, you're just worried about losing royalties?
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'm worried I about, know. like, it actually, like, intercepting and intervening <laughs> with, like, the, the full intention behind something you know, deep down, like sometimes you don't even know what you're writing about. So if you're trying to figure that out and then someone comes in and goes, oh, I don't like this bit or you should do more of this bit, then it's like, oh, well, now the now the whole thing is destroyed. <laughs> you know, I just would rather like do it myself. And then once I feel like I understand now what this thing is, then I will put it to you and no matter what you say, I know what, you know, I know what I'm saying.
1: Yeah, no. I still stand by. I still stand by my uh, royalties argument. Royalties, yeah.
2: Oh, absolutely. (laughs) I will die on this hill. It's doggy dog
1: here. I want to chat a bit about what you've got upcoming because you mentioned about recording and that you've got you're in the process of um, uh, putting out your next EP or process of getting your next EP together.
2: Yeah, it's all together already. I think I've just got to get the songs mastered but we have a four-track EP that the song Emma will be on, the song mm. I brought out a couple months ago.
1: Beautiful song and that, uh, that we played yeah, too on this you. here very show. So, uh,
2: oh, thank great, you very much. great
1: song too. It's
2: a fun song. It's very fun. But, um, yeah, that, that's a little four-track EP that we'll bring out um, hopefully around, I'd say, May. Uh, we've kind of dropped the ball a bit because um, I've been very busy with work and stuff. So, no rush, no rush to get it out, but it's going to be called Bad Faith. And, uh, the next single we bring out is actually going to be the song Bad Faith. So, yeah, I'm really excited to get that one out and hopefully get it on vinyl and stuff.
1: Mm. Have you, have you put all of your previous releases on vinyl?
2: Uh, now I have so far, yeah. Um, cause when we brought out Slow Motion Breakup, which was my second EP, the first EP, some kinds, was on the B side of that. Uh, so, so mm. far, everything that's been released is on vinyl. Uh, I also sang, um, uh, for the cyclist, who's a UK uh, electronic artist, and also uh, the sang sang on is on vinyl as well, which is pretty cool. So that's really nice. It's like, yeah, it's such a nice feeling when you receive your your vinyl finally in the mail, and you look at it, and you open it, and it's just lovely.
1: Is there is there a, um <clears throat> is it like when you go into a new car and you get that, or some new vehicle, a new bus, and you know it's new because it's got that new car smell.
2: Yeah, you know it what does. I'm it's about. got the new the new vinyl smell.
1: The new, yeah. The new vinyl it smell it does. Yeah.
2: It's it like, does. And it also really makes you feel like a bit validated. You're like, yeah, now I am a real musician because I have vinyl. <laughs> not just CDs or not just cassette. Or not just digital, but like vinyl. Wow, it's real.
1: You mentioned cassette. I was gonna say, you haven't gone down that route, have you?
2: <laughs> no, I do. i I um was initially released on healthy tapes. Um okay. that's how I Got some kinds out, so that was only cassette, ah. and then and then my second we just did it cause, but yeah, like cassettes. Um, I think they had a, like quite a nice little three year period there where they were really popular. Um, yeah, just some resurgence
1: think, that just didn't go anywhere.
0: <laughs>
2: I think it's more like merchandise is really expensive. You know, if you yeah. want a vinyl, it's like forty bucks. If you want a t shirt, it's like thirty five or forty bucks but a cassette's 5 bucks. Yeah. So, I think it's, if anything, it's like a token. It's like a souvenir and you have your little rack of cassettes. You can be like, oh, yeah, I really like that she Oh, yeah, like this is a cassette. Or Because, you know, everyone's got Spotify now. So, mm. what would the fucking point be of buying a CD, you know, when they can listen to you for free? Yeah. Um, Which is horrible. But, yeah, I think that's <laughs> where the cassette thing came from. Like, oh, why would they buy a CD when they can already listen to you, like in this app for free, really? Mm. So, that's why they would buy a cassette.
1: Fair enough. And, uh, yeah, so is there roughly, do you know roughly when the EP is going to come out at this stage or is that a trade secret?
2: I reckon I'm, I'm like, going to say May. We've just got to bring out the Bad Faith single Mm. and then we can bring out the EP after that. So that's usually like a two month, two and a half, three month turnaround that. And I've got i I've actually got to put in the order for the final. <laughs> so there's a couple of things I need to do before I, you know, go down that route and get Just the artwork furiously, done. Furiously,
1: furiously scribbles on scribbles on her to do list.
2: Yeah, it's absolutely. Like, oh, finish artwork, get masters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a it's definitely like lots and lots of things have to be in place before a musician can release stuff.
1: Yeah, it's not all, it's not all uh it's not all groupies and and uh, you know, and beers, and or in your case, as oh, they won't get this reference tonight. The smut off ices. Oh,
0: <laughs> gosh. All,
1: all you people at home just think it's all smut off ice and groupies.
0: Yeah,
2: more. I don't know. I hope nobody thinks it's groupies anymore. You know, that's that's pretty sad. <laughs> um, and no beers. I actually hate beer. I've never liked it, so it's all red wine and it's uh, and good good yarns. <laughs> I feel, I feel like... <laughs>
1: I feel like your backstage backstage parties would be very refined.
2: Uh, I think that, you know, I'm not really much of a coach. Yeah, I'm 29 now. I did used to get a little bit raw when I was younger, but I'm a bit older now. I don't really value partying that much. Okay. I value, like, I value, like, one-on-one chats and, yeah, like, yeah. you know, just really, like, getting to the core of what's going on in someone's life at this present moment, you know.
1: <laughs> have you ever done the thing where you've taken – you, have you ever actually taken the bottle of wine on stage when you're playing and, or, you know, just have a glass there and just, like,
0: top up oh, as I'm you Oh, not go? a bottle,
2: but, like, every single time I'll have a glass usually. Yeah. Um, I didn't drink for a period of, like, nine months, uh, like, a year ago. Um, And that was interesting, you know, just, like, being up there with water. But it was also really nice to be, like, actually nervous, you know? Like, you just feel the nerves and you can't wash it away. But, yeah, I do love having, like, a wine when I'm playing solo. That's That's really nice.
1: That's good, yeah. Yeah, it always... And I think
2: it's also a bit of an obstacle for everybody else. If they see you, like, you know, stop and start, like, explaining what a song is about. You have a little sip of red wine. I think it just adds to the, like, general vibe.
1: A certain panache,
2: but also kudos to people who don't drink. Though uh, it's, it's really incredible. Oh,
1: of course, um, we'll, we'll take a we'll take a cheeky lemonade on on stage any day of the week.
2: Oh, you know what? Lemon lime bitters is the most underrated drink. Oh
1: yeah, but I mean, technically, I love it's got, lemon lime bitters. I didn't mention it because technically, and I, I say this with a massive eye roll and air quotes, technically yeah. got alcohol in it, but.
2: Yeah, oh, yeah, the bitters.
1: Who's counting? You know what, well, when
2: I was a kid, when I was a kid, I'd be like, oh, I'm drinking alcohol because mum would get me on my bitters.
1: You did <laughs> I felt feel so, so adult. You did feel so badass. You're absolutely right. I did. Right. I felt
2: really- I was the most badass six-year-old there was <laughs> in that, like, tavern, in that buffet tavern. <laughs> <The>
1: buffet tavern. <laughs>
2: Do you remember those? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we used to go to them like every Friday. They're great. And, like, all, all you can eat, kids, there's a playground usually. Yeah, it was awesome.
1: Yeah, they had one uh, not far from where we had family down here in Melbourne, had the volcano. And there was another oh, one. Oh, really? Yeah, could each one had a theme and then we'd go and visit our, our family in Geelong and they'd take us to the one out on the Geelong Pier. So, literally mm. the, on the in the middle of the bay. And it'd be a water-themed, like, you know, King Neptune, sort of, you know, under the sea That's thing. so
2: groovy. And that sounds like, so American. And,
1: and um, Yeah. And, like, an animatronic, you know, um, King Neptune with his, how do you call it, trident, and his eyes would light up.
2: That sounds like an American road trip thing, you know, like, you would take a picture of this Neptune out in yeah. the middle of the desert.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, That's- we have the same thing with your big bananas and your the, the big... Big what is it, big pineapple and then you go to Goulburn and it's the big big the big ram and I've mas- never and- seen
2: any of those before but and- I have seen the big camera <laughs> the-
1: wait there's a big camera
2: yeah there's a big camera in WA
1: <laughs> oh. <laughs> does it actually take pictures?
2: <laughs> no it's very very dilapidated okay. it's an old camera.
1: Oh no oh so it's like one of those um those old um, Fuji film ones. I bought a mm-hmm. camera over the Christmas break, and and it's a Fuji film, and they still make them look like they were made oh, in the eighties. Wow. So people go, oh, yeah, do they still yeah. use film. I didn't realize Fuji film still made film cameras. <laughs> no, it they looks like that. they do. They do, but like it oh, just no, looks they, like yeah. it does take film. But no, it's a you know modern like digital those camera. Those
2: Lakers, those Lakers are beautiful, but they like you know they're such poses. They yeah. look like they take film, but really it's you know just a really good digital camera. Yeah.
1: Oh, well, there's something wrong with the camera. It's really bloody good. But it looks like it looks it looks like you stole off your grandma, <laughs> and, I yeah. and I say that imposter <laughs> syndrome. Yeah, I say that because my grandma had a camera which looks exactly the same as mine. Uh, but mm-hmm. no, I was going to say the big ram um, has the uh, anatomically correct size testicles at the back, and uh, oh really, ram's testicles are large as they are, uh, and yeah, so I enormous- actually.
2: I once saw a Dachshund in the park, a, like a little male Dachshund, and he was a brute. He had like these big shoulders, <laughs> he was barking at everyone, and his balls were literally scraping the ground. <laughs> they were scraping the ground because you never see animals with them. Like we never see dogs with them, right, right. because like it's illegal if they're not going to be a officially registered breeder dog, then, you know, they're never going to hurt balls. So I finally saw them for once, and I was like, oh, my God, that's so scary. Yeah. I wouldn't want to be the lady who, like, owns that dog and is, like, giving it a pat because, you know, he could, like, start, you know, getting a bit weird at any time.
1: Yeah, I was going to say. It's like you'd think that would be a, an evolutionary regressive trait because, like, it's such a vulnerable area. Yeah, and t- I
2: mean, like, they, they get D-sex, like, 90% of them get D-sex. You'd think it would start showing up in their evolutionary genes. I or know. Like maybe, maybe they don't <laughs> Maybe then they're going to stop getting
1: born with like yeah. any testicles. But tonight the ones that don't have the testicles aren't breeding, so that doesn't work like that. <laughs> it's the ones no, that I guess.
2: do. Oh my god, you're so right.
0: You're so right.
1: Let's prevent something from happening because we don't like it, but don't do anything mm-hmm. to actually prevent it. Yes.
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh <laughs> uh, yes, no.
1: it's, it's uh it's it's evolutionary biology with Daniel and Tanaya here. Uh,
2: yeah, well, you are not – you want Up to know next. something crazy? Up yeah, I was next.
1: watching like was Darwin's was the was Darwin's theory of evolution a mistake? <laughs> Find out next yeah. Sunday's. Or um, well, are we living in the Truman Show of dog breeders?
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, I was going to think of a funny line, but I couldn't.
0: <laughs> something, something.
1: <laughs> oh, they're really not supposed to have balls. They're supposed to be on the top of their head, but they've got us in a you know an artificially confined chamber where the balls are underneath their stomach. Um, you
2: know, we can just we can just live knowing that the joke that we created was great. Yeah, we,
1: yeah. you know,
2: it, it, like it's it is so good as it is.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Something like that, yeah. It's just some some weird joke that no one's gonna go. Was that that funny? It only was only yeah, funny Yeah, I,
2: I wonder how many people are gonna be like rolling over and laughter listening to this. <laughs> <laughs> They're
1: probably sick of us already tonight. Let's face it.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, we've been turned off. And on this that is, note, this is for really. This is for the deep dark web.
1: <laughs> yeah, now you got to have the tour download before you can access this episode.
2: I'm just watching my two cats, and my boy cat is like really nasty to my girl cat. He's just a bit of a bit of a bully, <laughs> and she's just sleeping. And I just saw him prepare to pounce on her, and oh. I think I think she felt something in the force change, you know, and she just like lifted her head and Oh no, he's about to pounce on me! So I stopped him.
1: A bit playful because he's a bit
2: mean. He's a bit too mean, you know.
1: Yeah. I was I was gonna segue with the uh oh they're probably sick of us. Oh uh speaking of thank you for
0: coming
1: mm? <laughs> So, you you made me lose my perfect segue tonight, which was gonna be oh, no. the thank you for coming on and uh
2: Oh my pleasure.
1: Reveling in the fun times.
2: Thank you for having me. And thanks for uh thanks for um tolerating me having to <laughs> <laughs> midway through.
1: Now, of it's course- It's very
2: important. I'm sorry, the vote's a little bit more important than the oh, r That's
1: okay. For those of you who didn't know, we, we carefully edited out the bit where she said, uh, leave me for five minutes, Daniel. I've got to vote.
2: I've got to do my state elections. State
1: elections on today, yeah. Um, I just want to say, yeah, thanks again for coming on. Uh, the, the Volume one of Tender is the Night is out now on Bandcamp specifically, isn't it?
2: Yeah, only on Bandcamp because we're uh, like 100% of proceeds from Bandcamp sales so are going to go straight to- Bushfire victims uh, from the Warlukush Bushfires a couple months ago. So, yeah, you can only get it on Bandcamp because I really want people just like listening to it on Spotify and if if they want to listen to it and not you know contributing anything to to a cause. So yeah, that's our tactic, you know.
1: Fair enough. Yeah. So if you get a chance, guys, and um, please go and listen to the full thing and give it a download on um, Bandcamp to support what is really a great cause.
2: Yeah, I would really appreciate it. We've raised $913 so far.
1: Brilliant. That's really good. That's awesome. Uh,
2: Yeah, I really hope it does something. Uh,
1: Yeah, and of course, make sure you check out um, Tanaya on her socials, wherever that might be for, I guess, all of her stuff that's coming up.
2: I would probably just direct people like immediately to Instagram because I also upload like stories pretty frequently and I consider myself quite funny. Oh yes, I, I make it. I make it quite a jokester. Instagram.
1: Any any cat stories? that come oh, so up. so many, so many. I feel like that's yeah, just I've a got, wealth I've of entertainment.
2: A, I've got a little girl, and she's so beautiful, but God, she's a bitch. So <laughs> a lot of a lot of my videos are just of her glaring at me. It's yes. shocking, you know. I'll like try and do some Pilates, and she'll just be glaring at me from above.
1: So what is this stupid exercise? This isn't yeah, going to help dumb. hunting at all. <laughs>
2: You dumb, pink, fleshy thing. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, you have a great day. Thank you so much for having me.
1: Yeah. Uh, please. Th- well, thanks for joining us today, Tanaya. We are about to play um, one of the songs that came off, off your first EP, uh, which is Disasso- yeah. dis- Disassociate. No, dis Dissociate. I pronounced yeah, it incorrectly.
0: Yeah, dis- Dissociate.
1: Yeah, Dissociate. Now, you mentioned, you elaborated a bit before how it was uh, one of those songs that sort of explained how you had that. I guess, the battle going on with trying to write. Um, yeah. But I guess what stood out for you this for this one in particular? Because this was one of your favourites on the record. Um, but what yeah, stood I out for I, it f- for you?
2: I think my favourite bit was I felt really um, proud of, like, how I sang it. Um, when I listened back to it, I was like, oh, my God, I didn't sound terrible. I actually good that night and then like the strings on top of it it just like for me just feels like oh my god it's been fully realized so uh, now i now i see the song for what it is i'm really proud of it it's beautiful so yeah that was mainly why
1: i should mention too i see here the uh the strings on that one were arranged by erin gordon and so they're playing yes. the strings on this one
2: right? uh she is not playing she arranged it oh, and okay. then the Quartet never changes. Like the quartet all stayed right. the same, and they learn all uh-huh. of the arrangements yeah, from yeah. like I think four or five composers.
0: Mm,
1: yeah, no, I can see. Yeah, pretty much each song's got a different one, but yeah, really good job by the by the guys playing, and of course the arrangements as well.
2: Yeah, um, they're stunning, absolutely stunning.
1: Yeah, awesome, it's an well, honor. Tania, why don't you do us do us the goods and uh, introduce the song for us and take us out and tell people who you are?
2: Okay, um, my name is Tanaya Harper. And the next song that you're going to hear is called Dissociate, which was originally on my first EP, Some Kinds, and now it is on tenders is the Night, which is a live recording of a string quartet behind me on some of my songs.
1: Enjoy, folks.
0: Just come now, and I've tried and I've tried to figure.
1: going. I uh, hope you really, really enjoyed that chat with Tenaya. Uh, That was, as you just heard, uh, Dissociate. Again, off her brand new live EP, Tender is the Night Volume 1, which as you will know, as you now know, is uh, raising money for the Perth bushfire victims. So, again, if you get a chance, please, 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 please donate some money and um, by the record on Bandcamp, which is currently the only place you can listen to it. Um, I want to thank Tanaya for being awesome, an awesome guest. And, of course, I also want to mention a uh, big thanks to Sarah Guppy from This Much Talent Australia for helping us set that one up. Sarah, you're a legend. Keep it up, guys. Um, now, before we pop off to the next part on our second half of this episode... I just want to remind you guys to make sure to check out all the other bar all the other I was about to say bar talk shows. <laughs> nope, this is the only bar talk show. Now what I meant to say was uh make sure you check out all of the other AMR shows, the Mint Factory, Heavy Reborn, and a new one, Congo Rhythms, which is a really cool, cool um new new show that we've got going at the moment. So please go and check out all of our other shows at Australian uh, of course, make sure you check out our socials as well while you're at it, Facebook, YouTube for Bar Talk, and, of course, for AMR Australia, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Um, we'll leave it at that. We'll, we'll remind you again after the second half of the episode to check our socials if you haven't already. But in the meantime, pause this, pop on to part two, listen to my, my sexy interview with Barley Parsable. We'll see you all there. Well, what are you waiting for? Go and listen to it.
0: I said, go and listen to it! Australian Musicians com.